Welcome to Blind Date with Knowledge. This is a weekly half-hour talk show featuring Queen's University researchers and scholars. The show is a platform for Queen's researchers to discuss the significance to and benefits of their research on everyday lives. I'm Barry Kaplan, the show's host. Blind Date with Knowledge is broadcast on CFRC Radio, 101.9 FM, Campus and Community, Queen's Radio in Kingston, located in Carruthers Hall. All the episodes of Blind Date with Knowledge are available on the CFRC website or the Queen's University Research website at queensu.ca slash research. Today, my guest is Daniel Wolf. Ta-da! This is a, a very high-profile guest. We're very honored to have you on the show. So let me read a little bit about uh, uh, Professor Wolf's background. Daniel Wolf is a professor in the Department of History and has been the principal and vice chancellor of Queen's University since 2009. Professor Wolf's scholarly research has focused on two areas, early modern British intellectual and cultural history and the global history of historical writing. He is the author of four books and co-editor of several others, including the two-volume A Global History of Historical Writing. His 2003 monograph, The Social, Social Circulation of the Past, won the John Ben Snow Prize of the North American Conference on British Studies in 2004. His most recent book, his most recent books, both published in 2011, are volumes three and five of the five-volume Oxford History of Historical Writing, a series of which he is editor-in-chief, and a one-volume history of his, historiography, a global history of history. So, Daniel, thank you for being on Blind Date with Knowledge. I'd like to talk about the, the, the history and the history of history aspect. Sure. So, tell me what it is that folks like you do. Well, uh, I, I mean, I guess I'm both a historian and what's called a historiographer, and uh, it's also really great. Thanks, Barry, for inviting me onto the show, because there are a few things I like talking about more than uh, than research, and particularly, uh, particularly my own, which, well, I've been principal, I've been trying to sort of keep going on a, on a slow burn. Um, I, I, my two areas, as you mentioned, are early modern, which really means 16th and 17th century British history, but also the global history of history historical writing. And the two are sort of connected in that my doctoral thesis at the University of Oxford in the early 80s was about English historical writing in the early 17th century, about earlier periods than that. So that sort of got me historiographically focused, and I did a bunch of research. You mentioned a couple of the books there on, on that subject. And then uh, sometime in the early 90s, I got approached by a publisher to do an encyclopedia of historical writing. That's the two-volume thing you referred to. And I decided to do it, but I wanted to do it a little differently than it had been done by previous people who had done such projects. I wanted to make it a little more global. I'd been teaching historiography at an Eastern University for years, uh, but was getting a little tired of, you know, the same the same, you know, uh, Thucydides up to, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the modern era, very, very Western and Eurocentric. So I decided I was going to include uh, China and uh, Africa and the rest of the world and uh, it was really kind of eye-opening. I've never taught the historiography course the same way ever, uh, ever again. And it, w it was great because it sort of established me in a, in a kind of different field than I was uh, known in. 
Uh, and it was also very handy because a few years later I started an administrative career, which I've now been in for about 20 years. And um, whereas it's not that easy to do the kind of archival work on British history that I used to do right. in my younger days when I could you know, take six weeks and go off to the archives, it's a little bit easier to write the kind of more theoretical, uh, synthetic stuff that I do on the global historiography side. But I would say also that all of this goes back back really to uh, my undergraduate period here at Queen's in the 70s when I did a, a second year course on Tudor England, a course which I've subsequently taught uh, in later years and wrote an essay on Shakespeare's history plays and that got me really interested in how people in Elizabethan and Stuart England looked at the past. So uh, yeah, it's a remarkable example from, from my perspective of how something that you come across as an undergraduate can really shape your whole, uh, your whole career. Now, you mentioned theory-based, and I'm not sure I understand that in the context of history. I think of history as dates and chronology and stories, and stories from different perspectives. But how does Well, the theory- there, there's certainly stories. You got that absolutely right. Right, but um, one of one of the things we we know about the we know about the past is that uh, it, it is something that we come to through documents, uh, sometimes through other sources, through uh, uh, you know physical monuments and so forth. Uh, our classicists, for example, will use use that archaeologists and so forth. But for the early modernist, it's usually it's usually documents or texts. And um, they are they are one thing. What you make of them is something else. And the questions that you ask of them do tend to change over over time. The way in which I looked on my subject was quite different from the way people who wrote similar books in the fifties and sixties uh, looked at it. Because the the field, just as other fields change, uh, so does so does historical so do historical studies. And just even in the time since I've been an undergraduate. Uh, the discipline has evolved and changed. Actually, even in the last six or seven years, I'm currently abridging my 2011 global history book into a much shorter, concise history, but I'm also finding that in addition to cutting two-thirds out of it, I'm also having to revise a fair bit because just even in the last six years, there have been some some minor shifts. The theory part uh, kind of overlaps with philosophy of history and uh, and uh, that's you know, really you know, stepping back a little bit from the, I guess, the coal face of the sources to analyze a whole bunch of different things, including the relations between history and fiction, uh, how language works in constituting uh, the past, some higher level epistemological issues such as, you know, how do we actually know uh, anything about the past or are there in fact any real facts. Uh, there's a whole debate that's been going on you know, within the discipline for about 30 years, uh, interacting with a movement called postmodernism, as to whether we can know anything about the past uh, at all. So how do you how do you penetrate that? How, as a researcher, researchers are concerned with validity, they're concerned with reliability. How can you establish that? And especially if uh, if we have sort of eras where there are certain norms about what constitutes good research. 
Uh, well, again, the norms change, and uh, in a sense, my uh, my my work on the global historiography has been how those norms have changed over a period of around twenty five hundred to three thousand years, uh, and uh, you, I would say the real the real inflection point towards what we call modern historiography probably occurred at some point in the in the nineteenth century, and particularly in Germany, with a real focus on on documents. It's often ascribed to a German historian called Leopold von Ranke, who was not alone in this, but uh, what happened in the course of the 19th century is that uh, German methods really caught on just about everywhere in the world, and uh, there were good aspects and bad aspects to that. Uh, the good aspect is, for the next hundred years, we had, I think, more or less an accepted standard of what constitutes good research, sometimes a little bit oversimplistic, um, but there was, I think, more common com- more common agreement than not. Uh, the downside is that it, it kind of pushed out every other rival tradition that had existed mm. in other countries. There was a long tradition in China, another tradition in Japan, uh, many, many, many individual traditions. In if you look at what is now Indonesia, practically every single island, Java, Bali, and so forth, all had their own different historiographical traditions. And in the course of uh, the kind of uh, liberal imperialist uh, agenda. Of of the 19th century, which was largely driven by uh, emerging superpowers uh, like Germany, like newly united Germany, also by established ones like Britain, what you what you what you see is a single, very very Western-driven uh, focus on. Uh, how you were to do history, and there's a right way and a wrong way, right. and and so forth. In the 20th century, that's been challenged a little more. I think World War One introduced a certain amount of uncertainty into how we approach uh, the past. Uh, World War Two uh, again, there was a brief movement in the interwar period called relativism that came out of the United States that. Uh, question, you know, the reliability of historical accounts, just saying that, uh, you know, to quote one of them, Carl Becker, a famous Americanist uh, in the early 20th century, he, Carl Becker, said, wrote a famous article called Every Man His Own Historian, say that we all do historical thinking when we remember, did we pay that bill, what was our appointment next week, and so forth. Postmodernism has picked up on that since the 1970s, um, uh, and... uh, uh, currently teaching a directed reading for three graduate students on some of this material, which is uh, which is great. Sort of gets my little uh, intellectual uh, stimulation a, a couple of times a month with these three very bright uh, young people. Uh, we haven't talked a lot about the the Tudor Stewart side of this way of my work, which is uh, which go is ahead. a different thing. And um, there, there too, uh, I got interested in, I'd sort of started off very conventionally working on uh, established historical texts by famous famous people of the 17th century who were well-known, had written histories. That was my doctoral thesis. It came out as my first book. But I was uh, struck by the fact that I thought that there was more to be said than simply what was in those texts, and that, those, that was simply the surface. So uh, a good friend of mine that uh, as a professor emeritus at Concordia University persuaded me in the late 80s that I ought to be looking at county record office material. So uh, 
that probably delayed my book, my my next two books by about ten years because <laughs> I then spent uh, several summers and reading weeks and so forth going literally from one county record office to another throughout throughout England. Probably must have done twenty five or thirty of them, collecting materials that had never actually been used for this purpose before, and it just opened so many uh, doors. There were so many serendipitous moments uh, and a couple of further directions for research that I never would have found just using uh, uh, printed text or using indeed the kind of central manuscript sources that you would find and that I was familiar with at, say, the Bodleian Library in Oxford or, or the British Library. Fantastic. You know, that uh, the, the serendipity aspect of it really connects with the philosophy of this show is that research, you know, you can be going in a particular direction and then something crazy happens. Oh, or absolutely. Ever- just absolutely. And I've had that happen. I've, I've talked about this to, to, to students. I mean, uh, you just, you, uh, you just, something will just leap off the page at you, you know, this eureka moment. And uh, uh, I'll give you a good example. I mean, my, my post-principalship project is to continue to write a series of articles on how women first became engaged in the writing and reading of history, which historically they had not been right. Right. to about the 18th century and I came onto this quite by accident in one of those record offices uh, in 1991 or 1992 when uh, I came across a vast archive by a sort of village minister in the early 18th century uh, who was he just moved to this parish and wanted to find out about who lived there who the famous families were and so forth so he kept writing off letters to people we had all the letters and all the replies had one thing in common they all said well I don't know but ask my aunt or ask my sister <laughs> or ask my daughter. Or, uh, so basically, the men were not remotely interested in this familial uh, stuff. They were more focused on the traditional high political history. But the women were the ones who who uh, had all the memories and all the recollections. They kept the notes in the Bible of what kid was born when. And that just got me thinking about uh, the relationship between gender and historical writing. And it's led me several other places. Uh, I've written an article on Jane Austen in history and uh, one on some couple of 18th century women. Blind Date with Knowledge is broadcast on CFRC Radio 101.9 FM, Campus and Community, Queen's Radio in Kingston. We're located in Carruthers Hall. All the episodes of Blind Date with Knowledge are available on the CFRC website or the Queen's University Research website at queensu.ca slash research. My guest in this episode is Dr. Daniel Wolf, professor and researcher in the Queen's Department of History. One of the goals for Blind Date with Knowledge, as my listeners know at this point, is to demystify scholarly research and to personalize researchers. As a way of making that goal real for us, I ask every guest on the show to tell us a joke, recite a short poem or inspirational quotation, or reference a song related to the research or the researcher's motivation. So, Daniel, back to you. So, uh, Barry, this this one, I got really stuck on this, and I couldn't think of a song uh, <laughs> in something like Herman and the Hermits, I'm Henry VIII, I am, too. I couldn't think of anything to do with historiography. It was like could three historiographers walk into a bar. <laughs> so, instead, I'm going to leave you with a very, very old Tudor English history joke. Anne Boleyn gets to, who was Henry VIII's second wife, was uh, condemned for treason and uh, various other crimes and sentenced to be beheaded. She got got to her execution in 1536, and the crowd was there, the guards were there, but there was no executioner as of yet. So the guards simply said, okay, uh, your ladyship, just take a walk around the block.
That's the best I can do as far as a Tudor joke. That's pretty uh, good. I mean, I I, I wasn't (laughs) expecting a joke, and that's pretty darn good. So, uh, uh, thank you, Daniel. My my guest in this episode of Blind Date with Knowledge has been Dr. Daniel Wolf, professor and researcher in the Queen's Department of History. If you have a question about anything related to research that you'd like discussed by our guests, or if you have any comments about today's conversation with Daniel Wolf, please email me, Barry Kaplan, at bdwk at cfrc.ca. Thank you for tuning in. This show is produced in collaboration with CFRC at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, with infrastructure support from Queen's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Find more great podcasts at podcasts.cfrc.ca.